Hi, I'm Yolanda and this is Speak On. Today we're discussing therapy. We've heard people often band around the saying that everyone should be in therapy, but we know it's not accessible to everyone. We know that not everyone understands what it is. And we've heard so much talk on TV about we learning more about psychologists, psychotherapists, counseling, etc. But we also know that on TV, are the people that qualified? How are they selected? how much study have those psychologists or TV psychologists actually done? And as a result of that, there is some backlash online and people saying therapy is a scam. I don't need therapy. And it, you know, people are drawing all sorts of crazy conclusions. So today to help me clear it up and to help me talk about what therapy is and do some myth busting, I'm joined by trainee clinical psychologist, Candice Williams and clinical psychologist, Dr. Harbin Gezai today thank you oh my god we got through it okay just for the listeners i have a cold i'm on benelin i may stumble through this and i will not re-record so we're just going to go with it but thank you so much for joining me candice and harvin how are you doing harvin i'm good i'm good getting through it <laughs> good and how about you candice yeah all good thank you plodding along yeah well thank you so much because i know that both of you are incredibly busy people so we're going to go straight into it um so I'm going to go to Harbin first. What is a psychologist and what is their role? What do they do? What do you do, essentially? <laughs> <laughs> I always struggle to answer this because I think the term psychologist is such a broad one. And under that umbrella term psychologist, the work we do can sometimes look so different. But in the broadest of senses, a psychologist is a professional that specializes in emotional, mental health and human behavior. And underneath that really broad umbrella, you can have psychologists that specialize in different areas or different disciplines or different fields, which is then when you get all the distinctions between your occupational psychologists, your forensic psychologists, your clinical psychologists, your counseling psychologists, your health psychologists, um, because under that really broad umbrella, we, they've specialised in really um, specific areas. And what's the importance of knowing the difference between all of these different types of psychologists, especially before talking about them? Well, I guess the difference would be that, like I said, they've specialised in specific areas. So, for example, if you are wanting someone to help you think about um, human behaviour and um, health as it pertains to the workplace, then whilst a clinical psychologist may be able to support you with that, an occupational psychologist perhaps may just have a little more expertise in thinking about um the area of human behavior within the workplace more specifically. So I guess it's just thinking about where people's expertise lie. So Candice, I'm gonna to to go over to you. What damage can come from speaking with like underqualified mental health professionals? That's a really good question. And I suppose I would first off sort of wonder in terms of someone seeking support for their, their mental health. I think anyone, whether they're qualified and they've perhaps gone through training processes that a clinical psychologist for example may have done or not I think everyone is capable of doing harm in a therapeutic space I think that's that's important to to name however where someone perhaps hasn't gone through a particular sort of training program then of course because I suppose and again I say of course it's a massive assumption but everyone's training route whether they're a psychotherapist whether a psychologist they all are sort of made up in different ways but essentially there is a 
process of assessment and evaluation of your competency, um, supervision, someone having clinical oversight over sort of what you're doing, sort of ensuring that your skills are developing in the right area. So I suppose depending on what why you're seeking support for your mental health, it's important to be aware of someone's training background, of the specialism that they have, of the thera therapeutic approach um, or approaches that they tend to use more in order to then assess actually whether is, is this person sitting right for me and sort of what I might need out of therapy. But yeah, essentially when it comes to harm, if you've not gone through sort of a training programme dependent on your speciality, then I suppose your likelihood to um, do unintentional harm is greater. Um, however, as I said, not to say that people who have gone through that route are also not um, capable of that as well. That's a really yeah. long way to answer your question. So I hope <laughs> that that made sense. Yeah, it did. Thank you. Um, and then Harbin, how easy is it for someone with minimal qualifications to offer their services as a psychologist? Because it, if you were to look around it just seems like so many people are psychologists now but then when I've spoken to them and this just even the process of of kind of sourcing people for events and panels etc mm -hmm. not everyone that pre is presented to me not everyone is created equally essentially uh, and some people are like oh, I'm a psychologist but they've only they don't really have their their qualifications don't really measure up yeah I, I guess the reality is that psychologist isn't a protected term so you can have an undergrad in psychology and call yourself a psychologist um, in the same way that, you know, me and Candice can call ourselves psychologists. So it's not a protected term, which means legally you could. I guess the question is, you know, ethically, could you call yourself psychologist and offer support in the same way and morally perhaps? So I guess when you're then thinking about what, type of psychologist the question you want to ask is what are their experiences what are their qualifications are they who are they registered with who are they held accountable by I mean it's just it's it's scary when you said that it's like someone that has done an undergraduate kind of degree or psych or they haven't majored in it essentially can kind of say that yikes that's really that's really quite frightening and I was about to say do you feel that the term psychologist is is used incorrectly on tv um, I'm going to ask you, Harbin. It, it's 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 hard to say, I guess, because I think where it's not a protected term, you could call yourself a psychologist and go on there. I guess it can just be really misleading because I think the general perception is if someone's calling themselves a psychologist, they have a certain level of expertise and qualifications, and that's not always corrected or um, made more transparent that when we're calling this person a psychologist, this is what we mean and this is what they're speaking to. So it can be really misleading. But also, you know, having said that, that people can go on with the highest qualifications and call themselves a psychologist, but say lots of things that still can, like Candice was saying, that cause harm, that don't sit well with people, that, mm -hmm. you know, sit with a what and and are with it, that's in a particular worldview that actually doesn't fit with everyone. Yeah, absolutely. And Candice, like what kind of impact do you think like somebody using the term psychologist incorrectly on TV, what kind of impact can that have? Well, I suppose, again, it makes me think um, similar to what Harvin mentioned earlier with like ethically, obviously people, um, everyone has their own views and opinions of things but if you are using that term then obviously along with it then then comes that association with psychology generally that people will take from what you know for example um 
if someone is justifying a thought or feeling, they could quite easily say, well, I heard a psychologist say it on TV. And mm. they wouldn't be wrong because if that person is using that term, as we said, it's not protected psychologist in that way, then mm. yeah, that they're not wrong in sort of sharing that information. But I think the, the tricky part is where that information perhaps is in some way I suppose, harmful towards people because they've not thought ethically or they don't have the training or experience that's that's needed with with the um, practitioner psychologist titles that are protected. That's mm-hmm. your tricky part. And I suppose I'm noticing I'm saying that. And actually, there is a lot of, I suppose, uh, organisations and acronyms that will get flown around in lots of different places. I think it's important to sort of, for, for everyone to be aware sort of how these organisations work. I imagine we're going to get onto that at some point but um yeah essentially I think the field of psychology can feel really confusing to all of us really mm-hmm. I think a lot more could be transparent in, mm-hmm. in some ways when people are sharing views and, and using that title I, was gonna say, I agree with that because I think you can still have two people that call themselves psychologists that have very different views and opinions and could still back that up with you know the research they found and neither of them may be incorrect. It's just actually they're coming from different positions. Mm-hmm. I guess just going back to Candice's point, so the importance of transparency and also just when you hear something fact-checking and knowing that mm-hmm. just because a psychologist had se- has said this, it doesn't always make it so. Do you think that people need to be a bit more, like you both said transparency there, when, for example, if I'm a psychologist on TV, should I should people kind of say a little bit more it's like look this is this from this understanding of kind of like flesh that out a little bit more as opposed to saying if this has happened to you just do this do you think there needs to be kind of more duty of care in their delivery yeah I would say there have been times when yeah I've seen whether it's a you know a live tv show or clips that have been shared where someone has perhaps taken that stance of well you know I I think like Harbin was saying research shows xyz and yeah research can show xyz but it's important to know okay who was included in that research study, what, you know, what was the exclusion criteria from that research study as well, in order to know actually, is this something, this recommendation, this conclusion, is is that something that's helpful for me, or that could apply to me. But I think the difficulty is that a lot of the time when people might share sort of generalisations around something, it, it is takes, I suppose, to know about how research works in order to know, okay, well, how can I critique this a bit or question it a bit or just be curious about what this what this might mean I think it's almost that quest for sort of definitive truth that sort of positivist kind of aspect of society that can lend itself unfortunately to people not perhaps knowing that actually you know within psychology you are meant to critique and you are meant to evaluate research and that's just that's part of that's how the field grows that's how we develop our knowledge it's not a case of we have got this knowledge this is it and we're not going to develop any further this to get what I'm trying to say mm-hmm. I mean also one thing that we all know that we have learned from recent years is that there are maybe 20% of people in the world that actually know what research is because a lot of people say they're doing their own research but unless you've written a thesis studied something really specific written a bunch of dissertations researched a huge article or whatever else people don't really understand that what research is that term is banded around a lot now and both of you have mentioned that psychologist isn't a protected term so Harbin which section of it should be protected how what should people have to have before they can say I am a psychologist well, where 
the field of psychology is so broad, it's a little hard to say what they should have depending on where you're specializing. But I would say that if you are looking for a psychologist or professional, the first thing I would probably advise people to do is check out their qualifications, check out, um, you know, to what extent they've studied or what and, and where they're specializing, but also see where they're registered. I think anyone who's a professional psychologist would have registration so the same way your you know your doctors are registered with their kind of professional governing body all psychologists will be registered with the hcpc and that's kind of widely accessible to everyone and anyone so you could go onto that website and just select practitioner psychologist and type in the person's surname and they if they're registered their number would come up mm -hmm. and anyone can do that so I would just check they're registered and that tells you that actually they're held accountable to a wider body mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense I mean just in the same way that if you have a law degree you can't say you're a lawyer or solicitor uh, that maybe there needs to be something before or something in that process where it can be kind of like the process where you step over the threshold as opposed to somebody who maybe did psychology for sixth form or something like that saying that they're a psychologist and Harbin again how can tv shows ensure that they're hiring adequately qualified psychologists because I mean I as a person in the media I've seen when people put call outs for people and they're like we need someone that can come and do x y and z mm -hmm. and they need to turn up at 4am or blah blah they it's not they don't ask for anything specific but how can tv ensure they're doing that so they do have this i don't know overall duty of care yeah yeah i think the same way you would if you were going for a job interview i would check out their qualifications check out um where they've studied check out whether who where they're registered but also know what specialism you want someone to give their expertise on because mm -hmm. even where they are registered and qualified it doesn't always mean that they will have the expertise to speak to the area you need them to comment or apply wisdom to so mm -hmm. for example I probably wouldn't be the best person to come and give um, lots of wisdom and knowledge or advice or speak to on autism because that's just not my my area of um, special and I do have some knowledge on it but it's just not where I've chosen to specialize so I probably wouldn't be the best person to take on television and speak yeah. to that speak about autism more generally and there are loads of other psychologists that are way more qualified than I am to be able to do that but if you were to then ask about my kind of work experience and where you know what my area of expertise is you would see it it's not that area so I think what the tv and media um, departments can do is actually just do more thorough checks yeah yeah absolutely because there are I would say career TV career psychologists who are wheeled in and out of things because they're going to get paid a fee and they talk on everything without saying what they specialize in. There are some that are like, okay, this, I can't say this because this is my area, but that's really rare. There are people that genuinely position themselves as that and on Instagram as kind of almost like psychology influencers as well. And they aren't really say they aren't saying essentially that this is what I specialize in I can't they're not saying what you just said essentially they're just thinking money and mm -hmm. like I think it's a good point that there should be some more thorough checks because essentially you can build a database of people that you can really? contact then who cover those subjects and it wouldn't be that hard so talking about just tv and psychology we're going to take a very small sidestep into I suppose the world of 
reality TV, taking part in shows, and obviously the part the psychologists have to play in that as well. And having had clients that have gone th- gone th- uh, forward through and have been in various reality shows, there are a certain amount of um, psychological checks that take place. What and the reason I bring this up is because I, when we, like, I think when people listen to the show, I can imagine these are the questions they'll have as well. But what potential psychological risks can come from taking part in a TV show? What would a psychologist kind of have to look for before letting someone on the show? I'm going to go to Candice. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I think, I suppose it depends on the show, I think is one thing. And sort of perhaps someone's motivation to apply to take part I think one sort of thing that that psychology psychologists clinical psychologists in particular can sort of lend themselves to is sort of having that opportunity to have an in-depth assessment to go through someone's formulation with them so do it in in a, a collaborative way and sort of unpick a bit around sort of what their hopes are for going on the show um perhaps things in their history that are that's important to know but I think I suppose given that sort of reality TV is is huge now, we sort of when you just think about how much it's evolved over time, a lot of the time when perhaps things have happened where sort of the the media have made it difficult for for someone and really sort of attack someone's sort of personal character, I think a lot of the time you might see sort of people comment and say, well, surely they know what what they were signing up for when they did, you know they should have realised the risk, but actually that's where your psychologist can come in and start and sort of have a think around I'm going to use the word risk assessment lightly because I suppose um, when I think of risk assessment sort of in mental health pure sort of mental health service that holds a different connotation but essentially it's similar because you're helping someone figure out sort of anything that might have happened in the past that may might impact their emotional state whether that's during the show before or after and sort of just yeah just helping have that that conversation um, around also the things that they're hopeful of or the things that are given them that motivation moving forward but yeah I think it's a really interesting question I feel like it's a real sort of individual case by case basis as to where someone needs to be um, in terms of before embarking on that kind of journey and taking part. Yeah and Harbin do you think that people can finesse their way through those kind of assessments is it easy to spot people that really aren't going to be suited for that or is that or can someone just turn up and be like hi I'm bubbly I want to be on tv this is great I honestly could if if I was to be really honest I couldn't say having not been through that process of having to do it so I don't want to speak out of turn but I think there's an element that sometimes all you have is someone's word and what they are willing to tell you about their history, about their experiences, Mm -hmm. about their hopes. You know, we're not mind readers. So on one level, all you have is how they're presenting to you in their behavior, their words, their experiences and what they're willing to give you. Mm -hmm. Um, And with that, you know, you could draw some fair and reasonable conclusions about how, you know, the show might impact them or, um, and what their motivations are but sure if you are a brilliant actor and you know you make you you're willing to I don't know not tell the whole truth about your experiences or your mental health experiences or your motivation then perhaps there is an element that you can kind of you know finesse your way through but there are perhaps also sometimes where actually you may be saying one thing but your whole body language and mm-hmm. presence in the room says something different yeah maybe able to draw other conclusions so mm-hmm. it's 
it's a little harder to give such a concrete answer to. We've seen some of the like some things that have happened to people that have been on, on reality TV shows. And we've seen people in the press, the general public, etc., blame these reality TV shows and poor aftercare, etc. I mean, I having worked with certain shows and having knowledge of some of that process, I, I think that aftercare is actually quite good in, in, in some of the cases. I don't, can't speak for every show because I've been involved with everything, but the ones that I have witnessed, been through, been part of, the aftercare is, the aftercare is quite good. And also I feel like sometimes something terrible, some things are going to happen, that like terrible things are going to happen to people and there's kind of nothing you can do about it, unfortunately, it feels like. But what can TV shows do as a part of that kind of aftercare package that could help people kind of cope with the aftermath of TV? I think perhaps maybe a really important thing they could do is just help them think through how they might manage some of the difficulties that might arise mm-hmm. as a consequence of coming in the show. I think when you are in the public eye and you have people, you know, on the West end throwing lots of unkind things about you, that can really impact how you view yourself, how you view the world how um, your relationship with yourself and others and perhaps really thinking through, you know, these are some of the potential risks. This is, let's think through the different ways it might impact you and what are the ways you could keep yourself safe? What are the ways that you could look after yourself and really thinking through in advance, perhaps some of the ways you might be able to safeguard yourself from these potential risks should never be taken for granted so that when you are in that space at the other end having come out of it you're not then having to think about gosh how do I manage this but you may already have some ideas you may already have some systems in place you might already know where you can go to when you are struggling and you might already have those numbers there you already have friends that you know you could lean into it could be really important as well as the aftercare so it's thinking about you know how do we put up the structures and frameworks in place to support people knowing that actually there is a reality to the fact that coming out the other end there could be lots of difficulties yeah absolutely I think that that kind of uh I suppose the open dialogue on social media is starting to make people realize those difficulties as well as us I don't don't know social media is is a double-edged sword at times isn't it um but I suppose people being more open about their experiences is helping people understand the impact Mm. essentially of what being in the public eye can do and also what that kind of how social media can also galvanize people that are that are cruel as well and yeah what the after effect yeah, of that exactly. could be just thinking about the safeguards we're putting in place from the beginning instead of thinking oh crap now what can I do it's always yeah. harder it's always harder to be reactive than it is to be more preventative yeah absolutely and so back going st- stepping back into our main subject again um as like I said at the top of the show, people throw around, like even I've said it at times, everyone should be in therapy. But I say it flippantly knowing that not everyone, if therapy and like help for any kind of mental health issues, struggles, etc. I know it's not accessible to everyone. But what forms of therapy are available for those that are struggling? Because I can, the reason why I wanted to do this subject is because I've seen certain conversation in certain parts of social media and things that we posted, etc., where because of potentially TV psychologists, because of the, there's so much conversation around mental health and sometimes it's a little bit unstructured. There are some people that think, well, I don't know. I don't want to go to someone because I don't think they'll be able to help me. I don't think I'll be able to get help. It's starting to 
make them feel like therapy is a scam or they're getting disillusioned by the whole process but what forms of therapy are available for those that are struggling and I'm asking that to Candice yeah there is a there is a lot there are a lot of different forms of therapy and I suppose again dependent on what we might be struggling with I think the more that we can understand a little bit more about what a therapeutic process might entail then that might help us sort of make make that decision but I suppose it's just important to say that it's, it's not easy to know every bit of therapy that that is out there and um, and to make that judgment as to whether mm-hmm. this could be helpful or not. Sometimes it is about sort of giving it a go and seeing what that's like. And I suppose oh, there was a study, oh gosh, I can't remember who it was by now, that I came across at one point just thinking about how important the, the therapeutic alliance is, sort of irrespective of the therapy type sort of it's that relationship between therapist and and individual that can have an important impact on outcomes uh, yeah sort of to to the same degree so I think it's uh, yeah I suppose the reason why I'm struggling to answer it is is simply because there are so many but I think Mm -hmm. the ones that perhaps people might come across more are your CBT cognitive behavioral therapy and again you know that's there's lots of different things are linked in as to why that is perhaps the most well known it's it's political it's mm-hmm. um, in terms of thinking about service structures and commissioning there's so much i think around that but i think in, in the same way that any of us can go on google and mm-hmm. say like what is cbt you know it, it, there is that information out there in terms of just to un- unpick what the different types of psychological therapies are mm-hmm. and yeah and i suppose alongside that there are lots of other um other types of therapies your occupational therapy your art therapy your drama therapy dance and movement psychotherapy yeah but I think mm-hmm. if t- to get a sense of that you know looking on say for example there's the British Association of Counselling and Psychotherapies I think that's one website that, again sort of similar to the HPCP giving you that sort of list of practitioners but um, yeah just just I suppose feeling out sort of because I think that's something that I have found comes up a lot, the difference between counselling mm-hmm. and and like therapies or psychology. And yeah, I, I think that's a whole, maybe that's a whole other conversation within itself. I suppose my main point is, yeah, trying to to get a sense of, I suppose, how you view like your, your difficulties. Like, is it something that you feel that some strategies might be helpful, whereby, for example, your approaches like CBT might be helpful or is it actually this is I'm I'm I have understood my experiences so far as linked in with the relationships with people around me with things perhaps have happened in my past therefore you might be looking at say for example systemic therapy family therapy you might be looking at psychodynamic psychotherapy but yeah that sorry I feel like I've done a really bad job answering your question other than (laughs) to say that there, there is a lot and I think it very much depends on how as an individual we're making sense of what what we've experienced as to what might be the most helpful thing yeah I mean you've named so many different types of therapy that I didn't even realize existed so it's good to know that there are so many different types so people can I suppose people see it as I'm going to sit in a room with someone and I'm just going to say how I'm feeling but knowing that there are different types and different types of approaches I think is it's helpful to know that there is there is a lot out there but I suppose also by knowing a lot there's a lot out there can also be feel quite daunting as well but so I mean, goodness, oh my goodness, there's so many different forms out there. What's the, people obviously kind of know more, I suppose, about talking therapies. It's what's shown to us on TV. It's what we understand therapy to be. So you did bring up a good point, Candice. I'm going to go to Harbin to answer this. What is the difference between a counsellor, a psychologist, 
a psychotherapist and a psychiatrist? Okay. Sorry, so that's a really big question. Fundamental <laughs> yeah. psychiatrist mm-hmm. and everyone else you just mentioned. So your psychotherapist, your counseling psychologist, and your clinical psychologist is yeah. that your, your um, psychiatrist specializes in pharmaceutical medicine, drugs, prescriptions, um, and that's their their specialism. So they will focus on diagnosis and treatment mm-hmm. through the pharmacological um, route, medication. That's where you get your antidepressants, your antipsychotics, mm-hmm. um, etc. Some psychiatrists have then gone on to do further training. Some go on to do um, further psychotherapy training. So then mm-hmm. that gives them the scope to prescribe medication. Mm-hmm. and do some talking therapies because they've got those extra qualifications okay. and that's because they're then wearing their psychotherapist hats yeah if that makes sense so that then the difference sense. between um so then your counseling psychologist your clinical psychologist your psychotherapist essentially all do talking therapies mm-hmm. um what's the difference between a counseling psychologist and a clinical psychologist we'll all do talking therapies but what makes a clinical psychologist slightly different is that through our training, we're also trained in things like cognitive assessments, working with autism and in kind of neuro rehab, which counseling psychologists wouldn't go, which wouldn't specialize in. Mm-hmm. But essentially, we all will do talking therapies. Okay. So there okay, might that's be good to minimal know. differences there. So I guess we will, but a clinical psychologist can then go into different areas because they've had that training in those different neuro areas for example I see and then with psychotherapists their training is also different so with a psychotherapist that's still really broad as well because you get your psychoanalytical psychotherapist your systemic psychotherapist and essentially they all do talking therapies but what then differentiates them is the the model they're essentially working within so your systemic psychotherapists specialize in relationships they work with families couples systems and the relationships in between them while a psychoanalyst, for example, will work with the person, their past experiences, relationships, attachments, and with the individual. Um, and then to Candice, this question. So I've I've seen before, like people can do like a course to become a, a counsellor, but without any of the other stuff. Is that a separate thing altogether when someone is just like a counsellor? Can they be a counsellor without being a psychologist? Yeah, essentially. Okay. Yeah, so uh, I think I mentioned, and I don't know if I even got the name of the website right but in the same way that registered psychologists are sort of on you're able to um to look that up and sort of get their their membership number their pin number counseling also has its own space and sort of website that you're able to do that and you're able to to go through that process of checking out where perhaps someone trained or the um, areas of specialism that they might have but essentially yeah you can do a course in in counseling and specialize in a, in a particular area so like you can be an integrative counselor you can be a psychodynamic counselor and I'm sure there, there's way more than two but they've completely gone out my head but yeah, yeah you can you can specialize in that but again I think it it's important for, for any of us and we're embarking on sort of is it psychology I need or, or counsellor I need is, is to is to you know have a look on those websites get a bit of a feel for for what that might entail yeah that makes sense yeah and so what should we be looking for when we're looking for someone to help us with this and obviously you've talked about the sites and where we can find people's like uh, qualifications but let's say I've started a session what am I looking for to know that I've got like I found a good person I think it goes back to what I said in the beginning. So, you know, how 
listen to do you feel are they attentive to you are they able to make you feel safe in this space Mm -hmm. Uh, because essentially you're not going to open up if you don't feel safe and listen to and heard and I think all of those things perhaps don't come because they have a sign on their head but come in those kind of early starts of those conversations and those relationships how able are you to feel like you can open up and that might not come within the first couple of minutes but by the end of the session do you feel like they've genuinely listened and that they care for you and that they are listening and want to make a difference and all of those things I think could be sign of a really good psychologist but actually if you go in there and actually you feel on edge you don't feel like you're really being listened to you feel and there are strong power dynamics in the room those might might be signs that actually this isn't going to be such a useful space you know, if you if you are going down the private route, there most psychologists and psychotherapists will usually, maybe not everyone, but would usually give you like a 15 minute telephone consultation that gives you an opportunity to just ask those questions on the phone around how do you work, what are your expertise, um, how able am I to give feedback, and it might it'll give you those opportunities to ask those questions and at least get a little sense of what they are like over the telephone if that's how the consultation is taking place obviously that's a little different and harder if you're going down for example the NHS route Mm -hmm. I don't think you have the flexibility to you know pick and choose as much as you do but I would definitely say if you are in therapy within NHS service and you are really struggling I would definitely I would say raise it you know you do have a right to say actually I'm really struggling with this therapist or professional I don't feel able to express myself or speak um, and I you know I really would like a different one and that Um, may may come with having to wait a little longer for someone else to be allocated to you Um, so you know it does come with that aspect in terms especially where the NHS nowadays is a lot more stretched but I think you all you do have that flexibility so for example in the psychosis service I work at we we did have someone who said actually I really want a person of colour because I just feel like they'll understand me a lot more and where that was possible that that isn't always possible but where that was possible then we were able to say okay let's make sure that the person who sees this person next is a person of color mm-hmm. um and that's not to say that a person um you know a, a white therapist wouldn't have been just as good but obviously there was something there that made them feel actually I would feel a lot more comfortable talking about my experiences to someone who might be able to empathize to some degree I mean that was brilliant because you've also touched on I suppose you kind of showed us like what are the the signs essentially that may make you think okay it might be time to move on let's say I'm not I'm not particularly happy with the service that I'm getting for whatever reason I'm not vibing it's not clicking it's not right for me how do I communicate that to my counsellor psychologist etc how do I say that because that can actually be quite scary it could be a post-it saying it's, it's it's not you it's me and then you just never go back that could be one approach I would always say just um, talk to your therapist because actually what you might find is actually maybe there was a rapture somewhere along the lines and because you've not spoken about it 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 stayed there and I I would say you know any good therapist would always be open to hearing your opinion and your feedback and wanting to make sure you do feel comfortable so I think if some if difficulties do arise in that relationship I think you know raise it speak about it because actually what you might find is that in speaking about it, you're able to repair it and you may not then need to break up because actually you find it shifts things in the relationship mm-hmm. and you're able to repair whatever was raptured and you're able to then move forward yeah um, I appreciate that's not always the most comfortable either <laughs> as well yeah um, and so 
like to follow on from that Harbin. So if I've I've now broken up with my previous psychologist and I'm move, like I'm going to try it again I'm going to go to someone else because I still need help. How do I trust and open up to that new person knowing that I've had that experience? It's like how do how can people move past that and is that something they need to communicate to their new psychologist like I was working with this person uh, it didn't work out like how is that how does that whole process or how can that whole process work with someone I think sometimes a, a therapist may ask what is your experience of therapy have you had therapy before what did you have it for and that forms part of your kind of assessment process so often the opening might come by this the therapist the psychologist the counselor asking those questions which give you the opportunity to say yes I've had it before this is my experience of it but what would be really important is to really have to think about why it didn't feel right for you because mm-hmm. if you then perhaps articulate why it didn't quite feel right you're in a better position to then voice that and help the therapist think about different ways that could be negotiated navigated and avoided mm-hmm in the new therapy space but perhaps if you're then keeping quiet about it you're more you risk stepping into those same patterns mm-hmm. so yeah. I would definitely say voice it say it often you know in the questions asked and if that question isn't asked perhaps you can just start by saying I've actually had therapy before and often you know the one thing I think all anyone any professional in talking therapies does is we ask lots of questions so often <laughs> questions will follow yeah okay that's yeah good and know. I think so, um Sorry, I just wanted oh, to add right. to that sort of it's also that opportunity for for us going into that space to also have questions asked sort of of us at the same time to to get a feel for and that might open up some of those um conversations around things that have been helpful or or unhelpful in the past. I think yeah, I suppose just knowing that that as a as someone embarking on therapy, we can also sort of ask as much as we will get questions put our way, we can also ask questions back so that we're able to to get a feel for what you know what processes might might lay ahead or or different things that we might need to think about um, moving forward brilliant um so I think my final question to both of you I'll go to Candice first and Harbin should everyone be in therapy does <laughs> therapy work for everyone sorry like hard question I'm gonna go to Candice first and then Harbin to follow yeah thanks for that um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If, if I'm going to be honest in terms of think, I mean, when I think we what we have definitely um, touched upon today is that therapy is, is like a, a huge umbrella term for lots and lots of different things. So essentially, I would say not not necessarily. So it very much depends on on the individual, I think, to to say that any one type of therapy or one type of support is helpful or isn't helpful, I don't think would be would would be fair on on I think just us as human beings and thinking about ways that we cope um, with distress day in day out I think yeah it, it may it may it wouldn't be for everyone necessarily and alongside that things shift over time so it might be that actually today I'm thinking that starting uh, a piece of therapeutic work would be helpful but in you know a few months time a few years time I might not need that so yeah I think it's it's fluid relationship with therapies or or what you feel you need in any given moment is fluid so I'm probably doing myself out of a job here isn't it but I definitely say no I echo what Candice said I don't think everyone should be in therapy I think mm-hmm. you know therapy in itself is such a western concept and if we think back to other parts of the world where therapy isn't a thing 
-hmm. you know people have other forms of healing and managing um, our, their emotional well-being they might find um, and that might be through spirituality and faith that might be through community groups that might be through exercise and there are so many other forms of support and healing but and if therapy is just one of those routes as opposed to the only route mm -hmm. so I think I I think everybody should have a form of support um a framework of support and something that provides kind of emotional healing a space to reflect a space to think um take cognitive audit but I don't think therapy is the only place that that that, that, that can happen mm -hmm. Yeah, the reason I asked ask that question is because it is something that's banded around all the time. And I remember even I flippantly said it before, everyone should be. But what I really meant when I said it was like, everyone should get support when they need mm. it. That is really what it kind of boils down to, doesn't it? But I love what you were saying there, Harbin, because in other parts of the world, therapy is a, re is a kind of a Western concept, essentially, isn't it? It's normalized in specific parts of the world. And there are other therapeutic practices that exist as a part of a cultural framework for someone else. And that is something that is definitely something that should be explored mm -hmm. more, talked about more, and should be understood as well. Because there are, I, I can imagine, I think I just saw somebody talking about this on Instagram and they were talking about they were some things were recommended to them uh like kind of different types of therapies and community groups etc and then she had to point, pointed out that I was like oh that actually already happens as part of my culture that's literally just how I live my life and it was almost being her culture was almost being like prescribed to her in a really specific way but yeah. that's a yeah I think that is a really that's actually a show for another time as well I really even, like the idea of yeah I think that. even for example if you think of mindfulness and mindfulness is something yes. that has really been incorporated into um, kind of western models of therapy mm -hmm. and I could name a few like CBT or acceptance and commitment therapy um, which have really integrated mindfulness into how therapy is delivered. But if we really think about where, you know, mindfulness has come from, it came from, um, you know, Buddhist and Hindu practices. Forgive me if I've got that wrong, but, you know, it has spiritual roots where mm. they were doing this as part of their spiritual and emotional, you know, practices. And it was then detached from the spiritual roots, put into a really kind of scientific framework and said, this is really important. And this is part of therapy. Mm -hmm. um, and suddenly now everybody must have therapy. So I think there are so many practices that already exist exactly like you said, outside of the therapy world that we can do to look after our emotional well-being. But perhaps where those are slightly harder to connect to where you don't have that support and framework where you know things have got to a point where you're really struggling or perhaps because actually you would just rather talk to a professional who's slightly detached who has a little bit more expertise who's not within your family or friendship group then you know therapy could be really useful in those aspects yeah just to say if anybody did want therapy but can't go down the private route you know the best point of call is always their GP I find people don't always know this so you can just go to your GP and request talking therapies and they can refer you to something called IAPT which stands for increasing access to psychological therapies mm -hmm. where you see a therapist and it wouldn't necessarily be a psychotherapist or a clinical psychologist but they will be individuals who are trained to a certain level to offer talking therapies and that would be a new be given a set number of sessions and you can often also self-refer if you wanted to by going on to the IAPT website because you know we appreciate 
being able to get private therapy, it, you know, it, it's quite a privilege and a luxury that isn't always readily available to everyone. Mm, absolutely, especially after the past few years when everything is is incredibly difficult. Yeah, to... and, yeah and there are so many charities charities out there as well, like mine, that might not offer talking therapies, but you know, offer other forms of support and you know, spaces to talk and connect to other people. So you know, go to your GP through the and you can get support via the NHS. But also check out charity check out you know charities in your local area. And mind might be a really useful starting point. Similar to your point, Harbin, around like iApt, um, but even like um, even before sort of reaching out to to anyone, I think there is a lot of information available, sort of self help guides and things online that that we can read through ourselves and just get a sense of understanding our experiences. And although I appreciate, there's also a risk that perhaps comes with with googling things and perhaps thinking, oh, I've I've definitely got this thing that's in air quotes wrong with me. But I think just I think it's not to underestimate the power of what it might mean to either read about other people's stories who have perhaps gone through similar things um or get a sense of you know even say if we're struggling with our sleep and i think a lot of the time that can be missed when when thinking about our well-being but even just getting a sense of okay what what are some good tips to that i can sleep a bit better it's those just i suppose finding out some uh, things that work for us they may already be things that we do day to day but perhaps seeing it um presented in a way that is um, sort of well-being sort of informed that might just help us with with our own process and our own journey knowing that there are things that that we can all do day to day to care for ourselves and it doesn't have to necessarily sit within this package of therapy because I think we've really tapped into some interesting conversations today which again could lead on to other podcasts around you know who has decided what therapy is um you know and but just knowing that us as as human beings we have so much potential to to support ourselves so also not to underestimate and um, what that might look like at, at different times thank you so so much for joining me today Harbin and Candice and taking the time out of your day where would you like to be found online I always ask people would you like to be found because some people just want to be left alone to live their lives um Candice where would you like to be found online I've got a Twitter page. <laughs> I don't think it's that exciting, to be honest. Um, but um, I mainly post about what it means to be a trainee clinical psychologist at the moment and share just general psychology-related things and connect with people. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind if anyone was interested, but equally, no pressure either. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So what, what's your handle? I think I think it's at, at canned45. That's what I want to say it is. Feel yeah. free to look it up yourself, Landa. <laughs> yeah, I will do that. We'll we'll add it into the show notes. And you also do have a psycho. Uh, you have have a psychologist po- podcast as well, don't you? So where can people find more information about your oh, podcast? Yeah. That's also on Twitter. That is Life in the Labyrinth, but I don't know the handle. Mm-hmm. I think it's linked to my page, but that is essentially me and one of my colleagues uh, chatting away about what it means to be a parent and a trainee clinical psychologist which is interesting within itself so I want no spoilers yeah. <laughs> but yeah we'll put all that in the show notes and Harbin oh, where would you like to be found online you know I was really lucky because you asked Candice first which gave me time to go onto Instagram and actually find yeah. out what my handle was because <laughs> I didn't I was like I do not remember what my handle is at all <laughs> so Candice don't worry like I'm right there with you I've just had to search it that's the only difference <laughs> um 
I'm on Insta. I am on Twitter, but I barely use it. But I am on Instagram also, and it's at Doctor Haben underscore Gazai. Brilliant. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Again, I really appreciate you taking the time out and I'm really looking forward to speaking to you more in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Speak On. Make sure you like, subscribe and share with your friends, family, co-workers, strangers in the street. To find out more about us, including our upcoming events, head over to Instagram, instagram.com forward slash speakon underscore. Bye.